if you want to become a millionaire, give $10 million worth of value. Yeah. And what is that core concrete value that you're giving to your ideal clients? And make sure to be a giver first and not just be like, I deserve a million dollars. I can't tell you yeah. how many people just go through life with the taker mentality. Mm -hmm. They might get theirs short term, long term though, they're not going to be the person that, that it lives a fulfilling, wealthy life. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Hey everyone, I am here with the one and only Dennis Yu, and this guy has made a tremendous impact in my life as it relates to um, how I think about business, about money, about film, about leverage. Uh, tomorrow, Dennis, I'm actually going to have a whole talk called Value Leveraging, and I would not have be able to have that talk if it wasn't for the impact that you've had in my life. But what's crazy is we've no. never actually done a podcast together. No, we've not. It's been years. <laughs> it's hard to explain what you do. We actually we have an audience here, and someone someone asked like. Dennis, I don't know what you do. So <laughs> I was like, I don't know what Dennis does either. So one of the things that we're going to do is we're just going to have this time be a, a time where we can um, just talk. I, I feel like half the, our conversations are like so good and powerful that I'm like, I want, I wanted to get captured. Yeah. Um, I wish we recorded a lot of these. I know. I know. You ever have one at the end where you're like, dang it, I wish we were recording that. <laughs> Let's bring it back to your upbringing. Mm -hmm. Because, well, first of all, why don't you explain a little bit of some of the things that you've done? Because you've spoken to people around the country, around the world. You're a leading expert in so many things. You were just hanging out with some kings and queens of countries. <laughs> I'm dead serious. A lot serious. of security, like, yeah. You know, just insane the exposure that you have. But yet, you're like one of the most supported, connected people that I know, and you just want to give, give, give. So with that, I'm going to do my best to do as little talking as possible and, and really let the man himself. Yeah. I'm here to listen to this guy. <laughs> no, this is, this is my show, so I get to run the show. So you can have me on your podcast okay. and you can drill me. Um, all right, so with yeah. that, Dennis, um, like, what does life look like for you today? And then we're going to go back and, yeah. and ask you questions about your upbringing. So today, I want to hang around people that are mission-focused and that want to help other people. I have the million jobs mission, and so you probably have heard, oh, that's the million jobs guy. And in order to create a million jobs, we have to help lots of entrepreneurs become more successful so they hire more people. Yeah. They hire more VAs, they hire people they went to college with, they hire people that are friends and family, and there's such a huge opportunity for all of us to be able to skill up because we've learned how to do something. And when you think about skilled trades, like you're a pilot or you're a mechanic or you're a doctor, there's something you have to learn and it's measurable, just like money is measurable. But what about in areas like digital marketing? Yeah. What about marketing? What about just business in general? Mm -hmm. There is not a well-respected designation and an MBA doesn't really cut it. Yeah. So for me, if you rewind 25 years back, I was really, really lucky to have the CEO of American Airlines be a mentor, just mm -hmm. like you had some great mentors. Yeah. And I was what was called a paper tiger. You ever heard of that? No. That meant I was absolutely killer when it came to grades and SATs. I could just mm. blow away standardized tests. So yep. I'm really good at that kind of thing. But I didn't have any people skills. Yeah. And I didn't have any real job experience. Yep. And I didn't know how to behave at dinner. I didn't yep. know which fork to use. I didn't, mm -hmm. just a lot of basic things I didn't know, but I had what appeared to be the resume. And so if it wasn't for that kind of mentorship, those kinds of opportunities where he opened the door for me to build the website at American mm. Airlines, mm. which then opened the door to build the analytics at Yahoo because I worked on some really wow. huge systems at American yeah. Airlines, which naturally lent its 
way to working at Yahoo. And then the Facebook thing opened up, and that was another huge database. Mm. And every time a huge database has opened up, I've been very lucky to happen to be there at the right time. And just like some of the things you and I were looking at earlier, some really cool tools, it, was, it wasn't because I'm really yeah. smart. It's because I happened to have these connections, and some of these people wanted to show me some really cool things. Yeah. So I'm just a conduit where I want to be around people like you that are impacting hundreds of thousands and millions of people and the sum of our joint friends. Yeah. It could be the folks at BombBomb. It could be Justin Martin, this real estate agent. It could be other yeah. folks we know in common that are really successful. Yeah. Anything I can do to support them with systems and data and checklists and virtual assistants, that makes me happy because yeah. it harkens all the way back to when I was a struggling young adult and I needed a job, I needed coaching, I needed help, and someone was there for me. So how do I give back on a larger scale? How do I make that happen? That's not just entrepreneurship and coaching, but mentorship at a larger scale. So you said a lot there. You, you said you got mentored because you were a killer, killer person in school, so you could ace any test, but the people skills were something that you needed to grow in. You got mentored by some pretty amazing people that led you along um, and it got you in at Yahoo. Why don't we talk about what, what you learned at Yahoo because yeah. you were one of the, the main people there and helped build Yahoo. And, and I know it's kind of- There a lot of people there, but. <laughs> but it, 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 you built it and then it, I don't know if Yahoo's the, the kind of company with the influence that it ha mm -hmm. once had, but why don't you talk about your experience there and then I got a million questions yeah. about frameworks and all yeah, that. Yeah, we'll just do all that. that. So rewind back to maybe even before some of you guys were born. 22, 23 years ago. And the internet was something where people had to dial in through Prodigy, CompuServe, AOL, which was the gateway to the internet. And we had these different properties yeah. on Yahoo. We had Yahoo Mail, Yahoo yeah. Sports, Yahoo Personal. So you, you would check you know, the sports scores or you would go look at the classifieds. We had all these different properties. And so Yahoo.com was the home page of the internet. We mm. had the number one most popular website on the internet with 275 million users. Mm. Now, when they brought me in, they said, okay, we need analytics on this. And I'm thinking, this is easy. I've worked on some of the largest mainframe systems, Sabre, the world's largest real-time transaction mm -hmm. system. This should be a piece of cake. This is just a website with a bunch of little properties doing different things. And boy, was I wrong. Because when I, because you, know, you, you think, all right, I'm going to Yahoo. They've got all their stuff yeah. together, right? Yeah. Well, no. The people that built Mail, my buddy Barath, has a completely different system than the people who built the dating website, wow. than the people that do hosting, than the people that do horoscopes or sports or all the other sorts of things. And so I became a social engineer. So mm -hmm. I do have the engineering chops to work with really big data sets. For example, we were processing 13 terabytes of data per day from the log files. All the searches that people were doing on Yahoo. Can you imagine? A third of those searches were some pretty awful sorts of things. <laughs> I can't tell you what they are, but they were not what I'm going to tell you, okay? And they, we had to build our own operating system because yeah. it was larger than what any commercial database could handle, yeah. right? That was so much data. So I had the technical chops to be able to work with data because I had that kind of math and programming background. But the social side was important because all these folks who ran these different properties had to give me their data so I could put it all in one place and then make this executive report to yeah. be able to go to Terry Semmel and Dan Rosenzweig and these other guys and say, yep, yeah. we have 275 million users and we have 8 billion impressions and we have this many people sending mails and this many attachments. And so to be able to prepare a report that goes across all of Yahoo, the number one skill I had to learn, and I wish I knew this 20 years ago, 
was I had to become a social engineer. I had to take these people out to lunch. I had、mm. to be nice to them because if you were the product manager in、yep. charge of Yahoo Personals and you're busy doing all kinds of stuff, why would you want to set up a data feed to send me this data? And then if you make a product update and that breaks the feed that we set up a few、mm-hmm. months ago and that breaks all my reports because your、yeah. feed broke, why would you want to update that? Why would you even want to tell me、yeah. that that thing changed? Right?、Yeah. So I spent most of my time. Taking these folks out to lunch, being nice,、mm. being friendly, doing favors because I needed, I was dependent upon all these different folks to give me、yeah. their data. And then because I had all the data, I, I then had this weekly meeting called the trough. So、yeah. I had all the unsold inventory on Yahoo, which、mm. was billions of impressions every week. So, I could allocate it to whichever properties. And so, these different general managers would come in and fight, saying, Well, Yahoo Personal should get more of the traffic because you know,、yeah. we have a $100 average LTV. And the Yahoo Mail people say, Well, but we're a pillar of Yahoo. And so, people coming、yeah. on Yale or a, a mail and search, they're going to then do all the other things. And so, as the analytics person, I ended up building an agency internally inside、mm-hmm. Yahoo. So, I had to hire up a whole bunch of people from Stanford and、mm-hmm. other places to build this agency to serve all these other. Sorts of places.、Mm. And then there were some weird things which maybe today would be illegal, but I'd run the ads for Yahoo Personals, which is a dating site, right? We started it, just a few of us as engineers. And the thing is, I had all the Yahoo search data, so I knew what people were searching for.、Yeah. Single man looking for a wife in San Jose, California, you know, blonde, likes long walks on the beach, all that kind of stuff, right? But I also was running the ads, so I was spending more money on ads、yep. than any, almost anyone on the planet. Mm. Right? And I was spending it on Yahoo ads and Google ads. And then、mm. Terry Semmel, who was the CEO, got mad at me saying, Why are you spending more money on Google ads instead of <laughs> Yahoo ads?、I'm、like, Because it's real money and you're charging my budget this way. So it's, it's kind of a neat view. And so my, one of my mini claims to fame was that I was the most sophisticated PPC, pay per click advertiser on the planet because I had. A unique view into all the search data. So nobody could beat me because I had the keywords. I, I could look at all of match.com's and e, e, eHarmony's keywords and what they were bidding, what their ads were. I could see their analytics. So, like, how could I lose, right?、Yeah. I was just absolutely dominating in that world. And I learned about the power of performance and networking and all sorts of crazy stuff that might be illegal today. So, don't put me in jail <laughs> if you hear about this. Yeah. So, where, where do we even begin? Like, what, what was the exit from Yahoo like? Because you're no longer with them. And、yeah. I believe you. you Cashed out and it was a, it was、yeah. a big day. So, what, not as what big we... as the people on my team that went to Google. Okay, okay.、Right? Some of those people made over $100 million who worked for me that went to Google and made over $100 million when they IPO'd. But I, I did okay,、right? okay, but not like them. Okay, you,、yeah. you're not, you're, you're,、yeah. you didn't make $100 million no. On, on exiting. No, I made single digit millions. Okay, okay.、Yeah. So, after Yahoo, what, what did you do next? I never really thought of myself as leaving Yahoo because. All of us in Silicon Valley, we were super connected. It wasn't like、yeah. in Silicon Valley we had better education or better computers. It was because of the network of all these other people. So, because I was at Yahoo, I was able to speak and represent Yahoo at the different conferences.、Yep. So, while I was still at Yahoo, I was building industry connections.、Yep. And I was already doing side projects, I was already doing consulting and the speaking and that kind of thing. So, it just naturally made sense at a certain point, there was just too much bureaucracy, too much、yep. nonsense at Yahoo, too many meetings. Like, Why are you putting meetings at 8 a.m.? I'm an engineer. Don't put an 8 a.m. meeting on my calendar. I'm going to roll in at 10 or 11, right? Because that's just not how it is. And, and a lot of us 
I was one of the last people to actually leave okay. Yahoo of the people who were there early because mm. I just was willing to put up more garbage or, you know, I was just whatever, more comfortable. Yeah. I was more loyal because I wore purple because I wanted to be Yahoo loyal. You transitioned and now you're known as the person that's like the expert at running ads. Um, you yeah. speak around, around the world when it comes to your expertise on um, Facebook marketing yeah. and just internet marketing and you do one minute videos and so talk about and let's take a step back mm -hmm. if you were to give an entrepreneur watching this right now mm -hmm. a 101 on marketing yeah where would you start well Kayla's been to our workshops a full three-day deep dive thing that we cover the six-phase social amplification engine mm -hmm. so the idea of a social amplification engine is we're gonna amplify the thing that's already working for you. We're not gonna try all this new stuff just because we heard from someone else. So what is driving you sales right now? And we want to amplify that. And we're going to socially amplify that because not through social networks, but through the idea of word of mouth, because of referral. Because when you're selling overfunded life insurance or selling something that requires a level of personalized service and trust, that's not just one click on Amazon, yeah. then there's expertise that's behind that. So to socially amplify content that you guys are making on your cell phone or maybe you're interviewing somebody because you've decided that you're gonna do a podcast and you set up a Zoom account and now you have a podcast, you wanna be able to get that message out there to the right people. So everything to do with digital marketing, doesn't matter if you're watching this in 2032 or 2022, the concept is the same. When we have Caleb's why, and his goals, content, and targeting that set who he is, which is his strategy. We can then take that and put that on YouTube. We can then chop it up and put it on Facebook and run ads against it. We can put it on Twitter. We can turn it into a book. We can turn it into all kinds of derivative content, which is what we call repurposing. So most people, most of you guys out there, I already know because we've been to a lot of conferences and we've seen this sort of thing, they produce content for TikTok. They produce content for YouTube for whatever it is. And they say, I can't keep up because now there's Pinterest and Snapchat and Twitter and Instagram and how do I keep up with all these social networks? The answer, you don't. You produce video. And so the production of that video is separate from the distribution to the different channels, which is separate from the amplification, which is putting ads against it. And guess what? When you have a winner, you put more money on it. Let's talk about dollar a day because yeah. your concept of dollar a day is powerful because a lot of people that do ads get turned off because they're like, well, I spent thousands of dollars on this campaign and yeah. something was broken. Yeah. You played roulette and you put everything on black. Well, you have kind of a 50-50 chance of winning. So Babe Ruth, until recently, was the home run king, right, in baseball? Yeah. What percent of the time did he hit home run? It was a low percent. Yeah, 7% of the time. So that means 93% of the time he did not hit a home run. Now in digital marketing, we've spent probably more money than almost anyone out there yeah. on Facebook ads and pretty high on Google. And then we know all the other people like Larry Kim and all of them. So between our friends, we definitely well, have more data. Who are some on, of the people that you've run ads for? Because I think it's important that people know that you've yeah. worked with some of the top people. Well, the, well, I'll tell you, but the risk of saying that is people will think it doesn't apply to me because I'm not spending a okay. million dollars a day. Okay. Like Rosetta Stone, language learning company, we were spending a million dollars a day. So Google and Facebook would come visit us, and we could go to any restaurant we wanted, any sports game. We were running ads, as you guys probably know, for the last five and a half years until recently for the Gold State Warriors, which is a basketball team, right? We're doing analytics, doing all, you know, Ashley Furniture, yeah. Quiznos, Jack Daniels, if you're, you know, a Mormon, like, don't listen to that part. 
But all of these kind, like all of these huge companies, we've done this for. But we've done it for real estate agents. We've done it for a personal injury. Attorney. We've done it for lots and lots of small businesses using these big businesses as you know, like Honda has Formula One, but that yeah. same technology is in the Honda Civic, right. right? So we have we've made more mistakes in digital advertising than just about anybody. Mm-hmm. And what Caleb's talking about with Dollar a Day is that's just a testing process. Anybody can spend a dollar a day. So we were talking about maybe running like a half marathon right. or something, but can you run just one mile, right? Mm-hmm. If you can run one mile, well, if you can put 13.1 of those together, you have a half marathon, yeah. right? And so dollar a day is what you want to test. It reduces your risk because if you're going to hit a home run 7% of the time, and by the way, in digital, we've, our hit rate's about 10%. It's just mm-hmm. doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be for plumbing companies or industrial piping or like any random, it doesn't matter. Right, we have about a ten percent mm-hmm. hit rate. It could be basketball, furniture. Yep. It's like one in ten yep. campaigns work. So if only one in ten campaigns work, how many campaigns do you want to run? I want to run the ones that work. <laughs> You're not just going to spend a thousand dollars on one ad and no. say digital marketing doesn't work. No. And so your whole concept of dollar a day is you test every day, and then you're looking at analytics, and no. one out of ten are going to do better than That's the others. Right. And so let's put our money on the thing that the analytics are telling us are, are the what key. the analytics says. Because most of the time, and this is me thinking I'm real smart because I've yeah. got a lot of experience. I was with my friend who runs data mining for Capital One. Capital One is the largest mailer in the world. They send out wow. something like three billion pieces of mail. You know, in the mail, like the credit card, yeah. that kind of stuff. And the guy who runs the data mining department, he has a team of designers. And there's a whole room of these folks. Mm-hmm. And all they do is they come up with the, the design covers of the cards. Mm. Like one will be your favorite team, or one will be like Disney World. One will be like a sunset. And some will just be regular patterns. Mm-hmm. And there'll be hundreds. So we'll see this grid with hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. If, even if you're a pro-level designer or creative, do you think that you could pick, of these hundreds, which one's going to win? No. And no. my buddy show you, he, he showed me this list of all these, like, like those little blocks of all the designs. And he said, Dennis, do you know which one won? I'm like, I don't know, this one? And he said, no, it was this one. And he pointed to this pale blue, just this plain pale blue color, and that was the winning card. Hmm. So the credit card companies are all the same because it's just a piece of plastic with an interest rate and a number on it. The thing that differentiates, differentiates them is the, the design, right? So mm. they spend so much on the design of the card. Yeah. You would never imagine that. But that's an example of testing. And those guys who are multi-billion dollar companies are testing thousands mm. of different things. Now, us as smaller entrepreneurs, yeah. we might test 10 things, 20 things. Not even. But you'll find a winner, right? Yeah. Caleb has got, how much content do you have? A lot. Ridiculous. <laughs> But even he, as an expert in wealth and finance and you know, being your number one asset, that kind of thing, even he's not going to know what right. the winner's going totally. to be. The market will tell you yeah. what's a winner and what's not. Exactly. So when it comes to someone who has a brand, has a strategy, has a company that they believe, if people understood this, there would be a line outside the door. They feel like they're yeah. the best kept secret. Yeah. Where, where do you begin? And let's take a step back and mm-hmm. talk about framework. Like mm-hmm. if you're giving them mentorship, where, do, where should they begin if they want to be successful in business? Where do you want to go? Well, What's so, the goal? So let's, let's hypothetically say the goal is to impact a million people and to make a lot of money. Okay. Well, if you want to impact a million people, first show you can impact 10 people. Okay. Show me who those... I get it. All the big dreams. But show me there's 10 people that will listen to your song in alternative pop that are also Christians that feel like they don't belong in some way. I need to see 10 people. 
And if mm-hmm. those 10 people, if you listen to them and you actually get them on a Zoom call or yeah. take them out to dinner saying, hey, I'd like to pick your brain or whatever it is, yeah. and you record exactly the words they use to describe why they like you. So why did they become a Better Wealth client? Not because of what you think, but I would actually record them yeah. the day after they sign up for Better Wealth and say, what inspired you to join? And they'll say something very specific. That customer has written your ad copy. That customer has done your marketing for you. If you listen, literally listen, you ask them these basic questions. Why'd you sign up? What would you say to other people that are in your same situation? Would you recommend us, which is kind of a net promoter score? There's a yeah. few questions you would ask them, and then you take that and you put it out as your ad copy, and that 10 will give you 100. That will give you 1,000. And then you yeah. put money behind it. Yeah. Put a dollar a day, day. $10, yeah. $100 a day, yeah. right? We did this thing for Infusionsoft. I think Caleb might have been with us. Were you at the headquarters there when we I did was, that? I was. And we ran a campaign to get more people to sign up for Infusionsoft software, which is basically email and automation. Yeah. There's a lot of companies that do that, right? Yeah. And we had 100 different ads. Yeah. We made a bunch of one-minute videos saying, here's why marketing automation is such a pain in the butt, or website building so hard, or here's the story of so-and-so who's successful. We tried yeah. all these different angles, right? Yeah. We even had the CEO eat some fried chicken just as a way to get your attention. We, we tried everything, right? And most of these got knocked out when we put a dollar a day against it, even the ones that we thought were really good. And so, you know those singing shows like American Idol or the, the ones where they, they get yeah. voted up until there's like one yeah. left? We put a dollar a day on the initial ones and then $100, $1,000. Yeah. And then when it was down to just one or two, that yeah. last one we spent over a million dollars on. But it was the best performing. And it was, but it was the winner, and so we yes. knew it was, it was, there was no risk because it was proven. Yeah. And then Sheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook, sent us this framed poster saying congratulations, which is thank you for spending money with Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, if, you're, if you have a dream, you have a business, find the people that are already giving you money and, and already raving about you, interview them, yeah. get really, really crystal clear on why they love you, why they're raving about you, and then just put gasoline on that and a right. dollar a day and figure out what's resonating because yeah. I might interview 10 people and this interview just resonates with more people mm-hmm. and start putting more money on it. Yeah. Um, and it all comes down if I'm spending $1 and the yeah. output or the result is greater than that $1, yeah. when would I want to stop? Yeah. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> so Justin Martin and I, yep. we're all friends, right? Justin went to our workshop and I spent all day with Justin yesterday. He's here in Denver as well. And he's a real estate agent. Very successful real yep. estate agent, grew this thing to where he had 80 agents in his office. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people in the world of real estate know who he is because he's got such a successful story. Now, I want to, so I actually lost money doing campaigns for him because wow. I want to do a really, really good job. And we lost money on yep. the Golden State Warriors because yeah. we want to do like a really, really good job. Now, why would we do that? Because if you do a good job with them, you have so much credibility. And if people are like, well, if Dennis mm-hmm. has done ads for the Golden State Warriors, he could do ads for me. That's right. So then we got the Houston Rockets and the Phoenix Suns and the Chicago Bulls. And so all that kind of stuff happened. Yeah. So be okay with losing money yeah. on that, for, whether you're selling a product or a service, because that lighthouse, that one great example is going to do all the work for you. Yeah. Right? So look at how many real estate agents have come to us yeah. because of that example. Yeah. Let's talk, about, let's talk about working for free because there's two camps out there. There's one camp that's like, don't ever work for free mm-hmm. because your time is valuable right. and all this stuff. And right. I come from the camp to say, you will get paid for the value you bring. Mm-hmm. And if you can work with someone that already has that value, mm-hmm. like look at it more as tuition to, to yeah. doing a smart cut to go right. where you want to go. Let's take a step back. If you're yeah. giving someone young and ambitious mm-hmm. that's like, they're really clear on what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they're get, get given advice to not work for free. How do right. you have that conversation? Where where do you where's the line been right. being taken advantage of? So working for free is not necessarily good or bad. Yep. Now the bad is when someone wants you to work for free because they don't have any money, and yep. then they say, "Oh, I'll give you some equity," or "Hey, if you do a good job, I'm going to tell tell you, you know, spread your name to all these other people I know and make this introduction for you." All those things we put in a category of entrepreneurs, yeah. where they're not gonna be a good client, they're a nightmare client, because we know that the clients that pay the most are the ones that actually demand the least. And so the, le the less they pay, the more they want, and the more of a problem that they are. But if you have someone who believes in you, and this is kind of a vibe thing, you have to meet them, yeah. you have to get them on the phone just to get a sense of, are they trying to get someone who's cheap labor, who's inexperienced, maybe some kind of intern thing where they don't really respect you, or, is it more of a partnership instead of a client relationship? Yeah. In a partnership, it's, I'll go to Caleb and say, you know, I've never worked with a financial advisor before, or I've never run ads to drive people to a conference before, or, you know, promote his book, The And Asset. But, you know, I've gone through the training that Dennis Yu has, and I want to work really hard. In fact, I want to be totally transparent with you. I want to do such a good job for you, Caleb, that you're going to tell everyone else just like you, because I know there's, I mean, you are special, but there are many people that totally. are like you, yeah, right? Totally. Yeah. And I want, I want to, I'm going to do such a good job that you're going to be a case study, yeah. that you'll, you'll want to tell everyone about it. Yeah. So if I don't do a good job, then I'm not going to be able to. So we have a mutual interest to do a good job yeah. together. Yeah. And so when someone like Caleb says, you know what, I'm willing to give this guy a chance because yeah. I think he's got the spark. I think that he's been trained appropriately. He just needs yeah. to be given the opportunity. That's what you want to rely upon. If you're a young adult, you can play that all day long to people my age. Yeah. We'll eat it up. Yeah, play the youth card, get in front of the right people, and become a lighthouse and ambassador for them, and it will be a mutual win-win. Let's talk about lighthouses because yeah. this is something that you've taught me, and I've been strategic, and I would say I've built better wealth around lighthouses. And, and yeah. so why don't you break down what a lighthouse is? A lighthouse is when your customer does the work for you. So cold calling, people can get by yeah. doing that. And hey, you know, if you go door to door or you knock on or cold call, or all the different words for trying to do cold outreach to people that don't know you, that is just way, way harder yeah. than someone who kind of knows about you because their friend said, hey, you need to go talk to Caleb because I went to his workshop, it was amazing. See if you can get a seat at the next one because it'll be sold out, right? That, that's just a completely different vibe. I look at it as the difference between, let, let's say we're both surgeons, right? Yep. You're a heart surgeon, I'm a lung surgeon, and we go knock on doors saying, hey, would you like a heart surgeon? A heart yeah. surgeon? I'll give you half off, right? It's never going to work. <laughs> we're running a right? sale, by the way, yeah. so if you it, want heart surgery. But if you yeah. buy now, I'll give you half off a liver transplant too, right? <laughs> Okay, now, but you laugh, but that's the way most sales yes, have been I, done, I'm right? With you, dude. Insurance agents that knock on doors and try to put yeah. things, all these sorts of tricks. Okay, now the thing with a lighthouse is you have that key customer who does the work for you. Now, there's several characteristics of what makes a lighthouse. Yeah. You don't have to have all of them, but the more you have, the better. They're well known in their industry. Yeah. They're not just some random real estate agent, they're the one everyone's like, oh, it's so and so, right? Like the Golden State Warriors is not just some random youth yeah. soccer team, they're a well known sports team, right? You've documented what you did step-by-step step into a checklist, yeah. a recipe that other people can yeah. follow. You create content, co-create content together yeah. with them. So that way they can see not just that you follow the checklist, but you have a vibe and it's easy to work with you. And it's kind of fun because people want to work with people they like, even if that person's yeah. competent. You, people, if they had to choose, yeah. would they choose, with some, choose someone who's really competent or choose someone they like hanging out with? Probably who they like hanging out with, even though... 
that tends to sometimes get them in trouble. That's right. But think about how you <laughs> yeah. make decisions, right? Yeah. That's how people make decisions. It's just yeah. a fact. And then you run ads against that yeah. content that you've created, yeah. and that drives the lighthouse. That drives referral. Yeah. This has nothing to do with internet marketing. Some people say, oh, this is Dennis's Facebook for a dollar a day strategy. It's nothing to do with Facebook. Yeah. In the days of cavemen, before there was the internet, how do you think the best butcher was able to you know, get the, the best exchange for yeah. you know, doing trade for bread or rocks or whatever? He had the reputation of having the best meat. Yeah. You know, people had, they had the best reputation of making the best shoes, like the cobbler, right? Yeah. So you have to build that great reputation. If you're starting out and whatever you're doing is a product or service and you've not built a reputation, do really good work, whatever you need to do to build that reputation, yeah. and then the rest of marketing handles itself. Yeah. I I, I can't say it any better. Like that has been one thing that it, it's it's crazy how many people take shortcuts on everything. They want a quick win, um, and they want quick money, and they end up sabotaging themselves. And if you can build it the right way, you're going to build momentum. You're going to do it with more integrity. And I'm just, I mean, I'm grateful. That's probably why we were attracted to yeah. each other because it was like at, at the end of the day, um, it, it was the mindset I've always had. But you helped me art, be more strategic with that mindset. Um, so. What, what else do you want to talk Let about? Let me give this? you an example, yeah. and then I want to point it back to you and give you some credit. So Steph Curry won Player of the Year, right? Yep. He's a three-point shooter in the NBA, and in the commercials, you mm -hmm. see him driving a Kia. But I know Steph Curry has an orange Lamborghini that he drives around way too fast, right? Now, when you see Steph Curry driving a Kia, do you believe that he really likes Kia? I don't. No? Why not? Because I just he did, he doesn't seem like the Kia kind of guy. Because he's being paid to do it, and you know he's being paid to do it. Yeah. So that loses all trust, even though it's like, oh, Steph Curry's LeBron James is getting paid to promote Blaze Pizza or something like yeah. that, right? So what you want are authentic, believable, credible testimonials and stories. So Caleb's not paid me a dime to talk about how awesome he is, mm -hmm. and. I've consumed his book, The And Asset. I read it, I enjoyed it. I've followed him on social media. We've been all over the place. And I have been sharing what I believe about Caleb, not because I'm trying to get a commission. Do I get a commission from you? Yeah. No. no, I'm doing it because I believe in Caleb. Yeah. I believe in his mission. Yeah. I have seen his track record over the years. I know what he stands for. I've seen how he treats his people and the clients. And so that's the kind of thing that reduces risk for me because I know that he's not some fly-by-night person who's selling financial service products, right? And so when you have belief like that, that's what you want, but you can't pay for that. That's like a prostitute versus a wife, right? Yeah. So you want to look for those situations because pe people can tell when it's the other way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The, the examples. <laughs> Maybe you have to edit that one. Yeah, okay. no. I mean, listen, um, what other questions do you guys have? What are some of the top frameworks that everybody watching or, or the ambitious mm -hmm. person that wants to make a difference watching today mm -hmm. can take notes, yeah. apply to their life, and improve upon it? And I, one yeah. comes to mind is learn yeah. to teach. Yeah. But that's just one that that's you a taught great me one. that yeah. was like, boom, I'm going to learn it, I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to teach it, and that's a way to uh, multiply our, our ability to have an impact, but I'm gonna let you talk and I might interject. Well, why don't but... you explain Learn, Do, Teach briefly and then I want to add a different angle to it. Okay, so the Learn, Do, Teach framework that I understand is a lot of people uh, are told to delegate. 
you know, you, you should delegate because um, anything that you can, someone can do an 80% job of, you should delegate to. And I think mm -hmm. that's, I think a lot of people resonate to, with mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. The problem is people always blame um, the people that they, you know, delegate to as mm -hmm. being a bad um, person. And at the end of the day, you're looking at the bad person in the mirror because it's mm -hmm. your lack of ability to articulate what you really want, get really clear on your results, and you're not yeah. delegating well. And I know yeah. I've been a horrible delegator, but that has really come from me not articulating well. And a lot of entrepreneurs or, or leaders um, don't articulate well because they've never been in the trenches actually doing the job. And if they do the job, they, they're, they're, you know, working off of the fumes of their charisma. Mm -hmm. And so they're not actually looking and saying, does this make sense? Mm -hmm. So learn to teach framework for me is number one, do I like, have I learned it? And can I, can I like actually mm -hmm. understand everything there? Mm -hmm. Can I do it and be excellent in it? And then with that, can I teach it? And can I take someone that might not have as much charisma or whatnot, and can they do that yeah. job, and do I give them the proper expectations? And a lot of times, people trying to teach, mm -hmm. they don't have the first two steps, mm -hmm. and as a result, everyone's frustrated. Yeah, and you get a lot of self-declared experts, these gurus who think it's easy to teach without having learned it and done it enough yeah. times that they've earned the credibility to teach other people. So most entrepreneurs, they burn out after about two years, and on the high side, maybe mm -hmm. three years. And my buddy, Chris Downey, who sold Spark people for $300 million at Weight Watchers. He told wow. me about this. He sold another company up for sale to eBay for $300. So he's had two exits for $300 million each and went to dinner at the Cheesecake Factory. And he asked me, do you know why most entrepreneurs don't last more than three years? Because they can't delegate. And as a result, what does that cause? It just They run out of money. They run out of money and time and energy because you yeah. can't work 80 hours yeah. a week. Your body just can't sustain that. So most of us as entrepreneurs, we think, Gary Vaynerchuk, hustle, right? Let's just keep hustling and, you know, I wake up at four in the morning, I only got three hours of sleep. Like, really? That's a young person's game, this whole like not sleeping thing. I love to sleep, yeah, right? Yeah, me too. Because it's a business, it's a tool that we have. So if you focus so much on doing and you can't get the stuff done on your plate and you're just reacting to things that are coming your way, that means you're just doing. And I totally understand the power of doing. You got to get stuff done. It's a startup. Other people aren't very good. So you yeah. have to do it. Okay, I get it. But if we follow what Caleb was talking about with the idea of learn, do, teach, three components, mm -hmm. this is something I've learned by observing high-performance people. This is not me. They spend at most a third of their time doing. They spend a third of their time learning. And they spend a third of their time teaching. Mm -hmm. Because as they learn stuff and they go to masterminds, they pay yeah. 50K. I was at a yeah. 50K mastermind last weekend. I didn't pay. I was speaking, which is great. That's my hack on getting in. So when it's the sharpen the saw before you, you start yeah. chopping. And then they spend a third of their time mentoring their team, building processes, doing a podcast, doing a Loom or a Zoom so other people can follow that. So if you... Are, if your doing time ex is expands so yeah. much, your, your inbox is full, too many messages, yeah. your to-do list is just too high, that's a sign you're not doing, it doesn't mean do more. Yeah. It means you're not doing enough learning and teaching. Yeah, it's good, it's good. What other frameworks do you have that have been a game changer for you? So the advanced like expert mode version yes. of learn, do, teach is content checklist software. Let's do it. So as you are learning, you're gonna be leaving a paper trail. You're going yeah. to be documenting what's working or not, like you're applying dollar a day. So content is your sharing behind the scenes and real, what's working, what's not working. But as you find things that are working, you find winners, you're going to figure out what that pattern is and you're gonna have that recipe, that checklist. 
So the content naturally leads towards checklists because you organize what's worked into a pattern that someone else can follow. Mm. And if someone else can follow an instruction set, then you know that it's taught well enough. So if I take my content on how to do dollar a day or how to make a one minute video or whatever, and I think it's really good, but then I give it to Caleb, and Caleb's a smart guy, but then he's confused, or he gets it wrong, or he doesn't get the right result, whose fault is that? It's your fault. It's my fault, because I, so I need to document it well enough and all the, figure out all the ways that people could screw it up and not make too many assumptions until it can move from content to checklist yeah. to software. And so I say software, you might think, well, I'm not an engineer, or I'm not building products that are based on code. No, no, no. Instruction sets that are for people yeah. is process. Instruction sets that are for machines are code. But either mm. way, it's a checklist that yeah. either a machine or someone on your team or a VA or something, there's a, mm. a thing that you have to follow. So you're systematizing. Yeah. So the idea of content to checklist to software, software is systematizing, having the machine run without you needing to be there. And so that follows learn, do, and teach. Mm. The idea of content to checklist the mm. software. A lot of people say, I'm gonna start this new software company. I'm gonna start a dating site for dogs. I'm gonna start whatever it is. And they wanna build this network and then once I have a million people, I can do all these great things. Yes, but have you done it on a smaller scale yeah. with 10 people? And have you done it yourself? And have you approached someone who's done the thing that you want, yeah. has been successful in there so that you actually are starting off on the right foot? So learn to teach works for a smaller business owner, but if you want to do things at a larger scale to systematize, you're going to go content, which is building courses and recording what's going on behind the scenes. So you're learning, turning these things into checklists. The checklists are what actually drive your sales. Because hmm. when you share your knowledge, oh, it's not a secret. You know, all these, I see a lot of agencies, they, I don't want to tell anybody because it's a secret, right? Then they're not going to hire me. No, you actually want to do that because then yeah. the real clients say, oh my goodness, I can't do this. I'm going to hire yeah. Caleb to yeah. do this for me, right? Yeah. I could watch. 100 hours of YouTube videos on how to do the stuff that Caleb does, yeah. and I'm, I'm just not going to do that, right? The people who are pros, they're not going to say how to do it. They're going to say who is going to do it for me. And that's how you attract the right clients. You have to actually share your expertise, which goes to the checklist. So it not only helps you execute operationally, but it actually is the core to your marketing, which goes back to doing it for your lighthouse. You document it with your lighthouse. They're your marketing now. Love it. What what other what other frameworks come to your mind or concepts that I that are just like pillar to helping people live more intentionally? So we hear a lot of people in these workshops we've been to. Yep. They talk about wanting to help millions of people. Yep. Vaguely, they want to help people live better, feel better, happy, healthy, wealthy, that kind of stuff. But yep. then when you actually squeeze it down, there's really not much there. It, yep. And it doesn't mean that they're not a good person doesn't mean they don't believe in that, but they don't have enough of a framework, so it's just yeah. cotton candy and it just squishes they're, down to not much. back end. Right, there, there has to be something credible behind yeah. it. So I look at this and I think, well, do you know what the most valuable hotel company is right now? I don't. It's not Hilton, it's not Marriott, mm. it's not it's Airbnb. Motel, it's Airbnb. Yeah. And how many hotel rooms does Airbnb own? Zero. What's Zero. the most valuable transportation company? Probably Lyft. It's <laughs> Uber. It Uber. It's actually Uber. I use Lyft yeah. because they're cheaper. <laughs> but Uber has yeah. higher, way higher value than General Motors yeah, and wild. Honda and all, all those other guys combined. 
But Uber doesn't even, well, I guess they own a few cars. But yeah. Uber, you yeah. see, so the, the way that an, an eBay or Airbnb or whatever Uber works is what's called a two-sided network, right? Yeah. So if you want to make an impact on millions of people, you don't have a million hours each week. No. So what you have to do is you have to follow and learn to teach, like Caleb yeah. talked about. You have to enable a lot of other people to be successful so that you can get a piece of that. So I did it one time with Naveen Jain. So he's the billionaire yeah. guy who's mining the moon and he's started Viome and all these other sorts of companies. And I had asked him like some idiot. I said, so what is it to be a billionaire? You know, how do you figure out what the next billion dollar idea is? Because he's, he's got so much money, he's investing in all these other people's companies, right. right? And he said, if you want to be a billionaire, you need to solve a $10 billion problem. If you want to be a millionaire, solve a $10 million problem, yeah. right? So if you want to impact a million people, what is the concrete value you can add to them? And then can you systematize through content checklist software or learn to teach to enable all these other people to win first? Yeah. So then so you can true. win. And that, that's the whole point of a two-sided network where you have supply and demand. Uber works because they have supply and demand. eBay, eBay is merely a clearinghouse where people list their stuff and other people come buy it. It's an auction. Facebook and Google are both auctions. Mm. There's people that are searching and there's people that are advertising. Yeah. But Google's not writing the web pages. Yeah, it's brilliant. Facebook is the ultimate They're content. the platform. Yeah. It's just the platform. That's what a platform does. Yeah. So you need to think of yourself as a platform. If you want to do this impact millions of people, yeah. you have to think as a platform. But if you want to just be a small business owner and be a contractor, freelancer, boutique agency, that's great too. But if you want to be at this level, yeah. you have to think as a platform. And a platform means you have to train up the workers who are yeah. not working for you necessarily and then you have to be able to have the, the buyers yeah. be able to come in. So you have to have supply and demand. And that's what you get for a master's degree at the London School of Economics. You, you learn supply and demand, right? But think about both sides. So instead of you trying to be doing all the work, instead of you also trying to get all the customers, how do you scale up both sides of those together? Right. That's the way to think about it. That is really tough because that's called the network view. Yeah. right? It's called a two-sided network. But those of you guys who are aiming for something here, Look at anyone who's been successful. They've all built two-sided networks. I love that. And it, it even convicts me because we're, we really need to start thinking about our business as a two-sided instead yeah. of a one-sided. And the other thing that you said that I just want to highlight is if you want to become a millionaire, give $10 million worth of value. Yeah. And what is that core concrete value that you're giving to your ideal clients? And make sure to be a giver first and not just be a... I deserve a million dollars. I can't tell you yeah. how many people just go through life with the taker mentality, mm -hmm. and they might they might get theirs short term. Long term, though, they they're not going to be the person that that um, it lives a fulfilling, wealthy life. That's right. What else? What else, Dennis? This is this is good stuff. I just want to hear about you, but that's going to be the next <laughs> well, <laughs> episode of the Coach You Show. <laughs> so here, here's here's what I'll say. Um, we're going to do a special segment for the financial advisors that are part of uh, advi Elevated Advisor. Um, and so stay tuned for that. Dennis has a lot of uh, really exciting training, uh, and we might even get access to some of it. So stay tuned to that. I want to thank you so much for uh, watching this whole thing on YouTube, uh, listening to this on the podcast. Hopefully the audio is good. And this is kind of unique, but when you have someone that has such a just deep background like Dennis does. Like I just feel honored that I get to sit here and jam with you. Last question before yeah. we get into my final question yeah. is if you had to, if you had to uh, share your story in 45 seconds, like a, this is who I am and this is like my background and this mm -hmm. is my mission, what would that be? Because I really yeah. want to have a snappy like, this is Dennis you, yeah. here's a story. Yeah. 
I'm a shy kid who didn't speak English. I was a loser, made fun of, but I found I was good at math and I used that to my advantage. I made a lot of friends because I was good at math and I built a lot of systems based on math and data and that allows me to connect to other people. So when you're good at one particular thing, that gives you entrance to all these other people that know that you know how to do that one thing. So even if you're shy and you're an engineer like me, you can learn how to speak. You can learn how to build connections. If someone like me can do it, you can do it too. I love it, man. Legacy question. This is the final question that I ask on the show is if this is your last day on earth and you're with the people that you love the most and you can't give them books or any of your playbooks, you can't give them any one minute videos, you just have one last conversation, what are you going to make sure to highlight? Learn to teach. Document what you know how to do so other people can pass on your knowledge, can pass on the value that you know how to create. And that's how you live forever because people remember you because of what you did for them. And then that passes on. Doesn't matter what goes on in the metaverse and whatnot, people are going to remember who Caleb is because of the impact that they've gotten because they realize that they're the number one asset because Caleb has helped people understand how valuable they are and to unlock their maximum potential. Love it, man. I really appreciate your time and appreciate who you are and appreciate you taking time out of your very, very busy life to be at the workshop supporting what we're doing at Better Wealth. So you'll see people like me and people who are zillions of levels above me, they will clamor to spend time with Caleb. And it's the busiest people that realize that this is the time that is really leverage, right? There's lots of things you could do to be busy, but this is one of the few, you could cut this episode, cut this little snippet out. This is one of the few events I have paid money to. I have paid for the travel to come out of all the things I could be doing, because we're all busy. But when you prioritize what's important, you'll always make time for things like Caleb's events. Yeah, you're awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.